this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindus in focus podcast with me amit barua your host for this episode for me the lead headline in the indian express newspaper after pakistan's national assembly voted out a prime minister for the first time ever said it all imran khan goes kicking and screaming it read refusing to read the writing on the wall mr khan tried desperately to hang on to power even on the 9th of april delaying a vote in the national assembly after the country's supreme court in a unanimous verdict had ordered that the no confidence motion against him be taken up again finally in the early hours of the 10th of april and after a dramatic resignation by speaker asad qaisar the national assembly voted out mr khan as prime minister the pakistan muslim league noon leader shahbaz sharif is expected to be elected the new prime minister to discuss these developments i am joined from islamabad by fahad hussain a columnist and commentator for the respected pakistani daily dawn welcome to the in focus podcast fahad thank you very much mr barun fahad my first question to you did you really anticipate all these developments and in the way they've happened well amit i think it was uh, unexpected to a certain degree i think what was uh, becoming fairly clear uh, since the last couple of weeks was that uh, the government of uh, of mr imran khan was weakening by the day and, and the reason why it was weakening was because the attrition in his own ranks was uh, was increasing ever since the vote of no confidence was filed it was fairly clear that in the numbers game mr imran khan was on the losing side so it was essentially a matter of time now the big question was uh, if uh, mr imran khan could uh, spring a surprise which had not been anticipated by the opposition and whether there was any way that uh, the numbers he would be able to either flip the numbers or somehow get some institutional help which would change the situation as it was um, evolving these uh, last uh, couple of weeks so i think it was his game to lose but i think the only surprise i would say was the way that the whole affair ended i don't think anybody could have anticipated that mr khan would resort to the kind of uh, adamant tactics that he did in the last 48 to 72 hours the end was i think inevitable the way it ended wasn't there are some reports that uh, the, the chief justice of pakistan and some of his judges uh, had reached the supreme court uh, late at night w- would this be something you would be able to verify fahad that is correct we do know that uh, as the deadline for the vote of confidence neared which was at uh, midnight yesterday it was clear that the speaker of the national assembly was in no mood to actually go ahead and fulfill his constitutional obligation which was to make sure that the vote actually took place the numbers as i said were absolutely clear there was no ambiguity about the outcome of the vote which is why the government and or, or the former government was absolutely adamant that it would not go through the vote now the problem was that they actually did not have a choice and therefore as the deadline approached for the midnight hour it became clear that uh, the the government and the speaker were ready and willing to actually violate the order of the supreme court 
which is when uh, we started hearing the news that uh, the, the Supreme Court as well as the High Court had been ordered to open, which actually led almost everybody to to reach the conclusion that if the Speaker did not go through with the vote, then the courts would immediately take notice and take action. So, so that was confirmed that both the Islamabad High Court and the Supreme Court were open for business in case the vote did not happen. And uh, on social media, I see so many, uh, you know, commentators from Pakistan, uh, you know, journalists, other members of civil society, really celebrating the verdict of the Supreme Court and uh, the position that all the judges uh, took uh, unanimously in the five-judge bench. So in the long term, what do you think this means for Pakistan's constitution, its civil society and its governance structure? The way things transpired was actually rather unfortunate at that point. The way that Mr. Imran Khan uh, and his government went about cancelling or, or completely discarding the vote of no confidence was actually shocking because everybody had had reached the conclusion that one way or the other, they would go through the, the, the act of the vote of no confidence. It is, after all, a constitutional procedure. So when they actually discarded it, when the deputy speaker actually went ahead and said that this will not take place, it was a shock to the system. And therefore, when the Supreme Court took up the case, I think everybody that I know was really wanting the court to come on side of the constitution to defend it. There were, of course, some rumors and some speculation that perhaps the court would resort to what, what is called the doctrine of necessity and, and find a middle way somehow uh, out of this uh, conflict. But when the judgment came, it was absolutely unambiguous. Uh, they completely reversed the ruling and they said that there would be no way, no middle way. The, the situation had to revert back to the day of the vote of no confidence. And, and, and the government, everything that the government had done was illegal. This judgment was celebrated across Pakistan. And I think the reason why there was so much celebration and so much satisfaction was because for once, there was a feeling that the system had defended the constitution, that the rule of law had actually prevailed over what was clearly political decision-making aimed at subverting the constitution. So not only did it strengthen the, this whole idea that the, the courts can, can enforce justice, it also strengthened the democratic system that, that we have here. And I believe other than the few core supporters of uh, PTI, everyone, including all the legal experts, now believe that this one judgment has done wonders for uh, strengthening the rule of law in Pakistan. Fahad, uh, too, you know, you mentioned a lot about, uh, you know, Imran Khan and, uh, you know, what he, uh, what he stood for and finally what happened. But some may argue that really the army withdrew its blessings uh, to Imran Khan. And that is why, uh, you know, this is why he was in his current predicament. And we do know what happened. I mean, for, you know, for, for outsiders, we saw uh, the public uh, kind of dissonance uh, when uh, Imran wanted uh, the ISI chief, uh, the in then incumbent, to continue. 
So, so why do you think this happened? I mean, they, they seem to be getting along quite well for a long time. Why, why do you think this uh, dissonance uh, crept in there? I think it was more than just one issue. Uh, I believe that the the rupture uh, that happened last year was uh, a long time in the making. In the initial days, when Imran Khan came to power in 2018, it was very clear that he had a lot of help. And that in the beginning, the establishment was uh, heavily invested in his success. But as time went by, we began to see disagreements cropping up, some privately, some publicly. The first manifestation of this disagreement was uh, over the appointment of the chief minister of Punjab, Mr. Osman Buzdar. Now, he was an unknown person. And when Mr. Imran Khan appointed him, clearly there, were a, there was a lot of shock. Who is this guy? Why is he being appointed in what is considered the most important position after the prime minister himself? After a while, it became clear that the, Mr. Osman Buzdar was not being able to do what um, perhaps Mr. Imran Khan wanted him to do. And Punjab had begun to bleed political capital. That was the first time that the, the establishment, uh, we, we, we believe, advised Mr. Imran Khan that you know they, he, he needed to make some other choice, that Punjab was drifting and it would uh, weigh very heavily on, on Pakistan's Arikin Saf. But Mr. Imran Khan remained adamant and till the end, he insisted in keeping Mr. Buzdar in that position. This was just one uh, example of how there was a drift, um, you know, the, the two sides began to drift away. We also saw some disagreements in terms of key foreign policy issues. For example, relationship towards the West, relationship with India, and a couple of other places where the military establishment was looking at things a bit more pragmatically, while Mr. Imran Khan was being a little bit more hawkish. So these differences continue to widen till the big controversy over the appointment of the DGISI, which was the first time that this entire disagreement came out in the open. I think that was a rupture. That was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. There were still opportunities after that for this relationship to come back on track. But I believe Mr. Imran Khan had by then either reached a conclusion that he wanted to chart his own course, or perhaps he had calculated that his future political action would be better served if he became a bit more independent in his in his positioning. In either case, I think that rift continued to widen and ultimately it reached a stage where the military just stepped back. They, I don't think they started taking sides with the opposition. They just stepped back. And that's where the opposition found its space, came in with the vote of no confidence and the rest, as we say, is history. So, uh, Fahad, tell us, uh, you know, uh, you've been a long-time watcher of Pakistan's political scene. So it's expected that uh, Mr. Shahbaz Sharif uh, will be elected uh, the new prime minister, possibly sometime today. So uh, what do you think are going to be the challenges before a new government? Because it doesn't inherit, you know, uh, a, an economy which is robust or, uh, you know, a system which works. So it's going to be a tall order. And we also know that um, elections are due uh, uh, sometime next year in Pakistan. You're absolutely correct. So a couple of key things that are going to be uh, the top priority list for the new government, which, as you correctly said, is expected to be led by Mr. Shabashri. The first, of course, is to put the new government together uh, in shape of a coalition. Of course, you know, the, this government will now have a large number of parties and they will all need to be accommodated in the new government, which essentially tells us that 
that this government will have to focus on a very narrow agenda otherwise it will be very difficult for it to navigate through these uh, political challenges so that's number one number two would be what to do with the economy uh, as you very correctly said the economy is not in a very good shape this new government also knows that uh, it doesn't have time on its side it's there for a short period of time and therefore uh, it knows that it cannot go uh, into deep structural reform all it can do is to take a few initiatives that can somehow draw a contrast with the handling of the economy by mr imran khan and also to help them in the upcoming elections which are due um, perhaps in a couple of months so so they will now focus on taking a couple of economic initiatives which have which will have some populist uh, elements to it also number 3 they will also the, i think one key challenge would be how to repair the relationship with the west which has taken heavy body blows by mr imran khan so so especially in terms of uh, you know what what happened uh, the, the russia and ukraine issue so there will be a concerted effort to repair that damage to reach out and somehow somehow heal the wound that was opened in the last couple of uh, months and finally i think they the new government will also be looking at reversing some of the electoral laws legislation that was passed by the uh, previous government in order to put in place a system that can uh, lead to free and fair elections as well as some reversal of uh, laws Uh, aimed at uh, curtailing the space for freedom of expression so i think this is some of the agenda that we are looking at in terms of the new incoming government so, so the, the last column of yours that i read in dawn uh, you you also talk about uh, the future of the pakistan tehreek e insaf and uh, mr imran khan and by whatever we've seen of his politics uh, he's quite a formidable agitator and he's shown that in the past So do you think now Imran Khan is going to be strengthened and he's really going to take on the new government and he's going to use uh, you know all the foreign policy and domestic weapons uh, that he has to uh, you know campaign against uh, the new government Mr Imran Khan has one big advantage going for him now that is that he is now in the opposition uh, in a place where he has displayed his strengths we know that when he came into power he couldn't really translate those strengths into good solid governance so far it seems that he is more comfortable out there on the streets than he is in the prime minister's office so he will now possibly be playing to his strength but he also now faces a couple of key disadvantages that he did not have when he was in the opposition last time around number one at that time he was an untested person now he has been tested and found wanting in government number 2 he had raised a lot of expectations and people were really looking forward to him coming into power and making the kind of strategic changes that pakistani governance requires mr khan has been unable to do any of that so those expectations now have to a large extent been dashed number 3 he also had the support of a large number of undecided voters people who were not his core supporters but who wanted a change who who wanted to go beyond the pmln the people's party and and, and test this third force they've seen and tested him and i think a lot of that that support is going to wither away number 4 he also had 
a very strong support of the media while he was in opposition the last time, as a result of which he got wide coverage and oftentimes fawning coverage. I think that's not going to be there anymore because he's had a very difficult relationship with the media, especially because of the high-handed tactics that his government has used against the media. And finally, uh, last time around when he was in the opposition, he had the full support of the establishment. And that went a long way in uh, pushing him into power. That support we know now is not there at this stage. And without that support, of course, he's going to find it a bit more difficult to have the kind of impact in opposition that he did last time. So clearly, Mr. Khan has a long list of challenges ahead of him as he prepares to step into his opposition role. But he's he, he, he will remain a political force in Pakistan, won't he? I think it would be safe to say that at least between now and the upcoming elections, he will remain the force. He, he, is, he is now the main opposition. He has a core support. We know that. It, it's a fairly large support base and very active. They will go through uh, a low cycle in the coming weeks. But uh, as soon as the, the new government begins to settle down and face the, the harsh realities of the situation in Pakistan right now, I think Mr. Imran Khan will have a fairly good shot at reviving his political fortunes. I think the key barometer would be how he and his party perform in the next elections. If they can come back very strong, then I think Mr. Imran Khan's political future could possibly uh, have uh, have some promise. But if he cannot become the largest or the second largest party after the next election, then if he, if he ends up getting the number of seats in the National Assembly that he did, for example, in the 2013 elections, then I think all the bets are off because that would mean that uh, a diminished presence in the National Assembly and in the Parliament and a weakened relationship with the powers, powers that be in Pakistan, uh, all of this would translate into a, a long and difficult years in the wilderness. For me. And uh, what is your sense of, you know, what will be the kind of lineup uh, from uh, what is what was the opposition and what are now going to be government allies? I mean, uh, you, uh, you know, the, both the PMLN and the PPP have been tested. And, uh, you know, they have not uh, also performed in the way that was expected of them in, uh, you know, in their past governments. So do you think, uh, I mean, what kind of choice uh, remains uh, before uh, the Pakistani voter? Well, I think the two key things that this, this incoming government will be focusing on in, in, the, in, in larger political framework, one would be, of course, how to manage Mr. Imran Khan. I think he's going to be, he could be deadly in the opposition. And the government knows that if it is not able to counter the attacks coming from Mr. Imran Khan effectively, it could be in trouble all because of the fact that, of course, the situation is not very good in Pakistan right now in terms of the economy and everything else, number one. Number two, I think the government also knows that it has to perform to a level where it is seen as, as a sharp contrast to the previous government. The big advantage that they have now is that in the shape of Mr. Shabash Sharif, they have perhaps the only politician in Pakistan who has um, a proven track record of governance and, and delivery. He has remained the chief minister of Punjab for two terms and, and he's credited for really getting some um, very effective governance done there. So, so amongst the galaxy of uh, political leaders that we have, he is the only one who uh, is seen as being able to 
make a difference in terms of governance in a short period of time. If we can actually manage that between now and the elections, I think it would it would be uh, uh, an achievement that he and his party would be able to sell to the electorate saying that now we've shown you how we can govern in a short period. You give us another five years and we would be able to uh, put Pakistan back uh, back on tracks. And you did mention, uh, you know, foreign policy and repairing uh, the damaged relationship with the West, uh, especially the United States. So uh, we, we know that, uh, you know, I, I don't think there was any real conversation uh, between President Joe Biden and Prime Minister Imran Khan. So what is your sense now? Uh, you know, how will this relationship be repaired? And, uh, you know, will Pakistan uh, sort of return to a, a previous kind of relationship that it enjoyed uh, with the United States? I think rebuilding the relationship with the, with the West is going to be a tricky challenge for a couple of reasons. Number one, yes, there is absolutely no ambiguity that the new incoming government wants this as one of its key priorities. But it also knows that if it goes overboard in, in trying to uh, reach out to the West, it would provide Mr. Imran Khan the political fodder he needs to push forward his narrative that he was ousted by the West and the new government has been pushed into power by the West. Now, obviously, this narrative is based on a conspiracy theory which hasn't really found traction in Pakistan uh, amongst those who are not his core supporters. However, on the campaign trail, he would he is expected to 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 push this uh, this narrative even harder. So, so I think the government would be wary of the fact that they don't want to give him more ammunition to fire uh, at him. Therefore, I think they will move very cautiously. There will be some um, some right optics, perhaps a bit of substance. But essentially, I think between now and the elections, this government would want to uh, just signal to the West that they do not want the kind of confrontational relationship that Mr. Khan had, and they are willing, ready and willing to engage with the West. However, I think any major initiatives would probably have to wait till after the elections. And uh, what about China and Saudi Arabia? We know that both these countries are you know, very key partners uh, for Pakistan. How do you think that relationship uh, will play out? Again, I think uh, th th these two relationships are going to be under a spotlight in the coming weeks and months, primarily because the PMLN, uh, and especially Mr. Shabazz Sharif, has been very uh, proactive in, in, in promoting the relationship with China and also with, the, with Saudi Arabia. As the Chief Minister of Punjab, he was very actively engaged in a lot of projects uh, which were a product of a collaboration between uh, Pakistan and China. And I, I believe that he has a, a very good, favorable relationship with the Chinese. So, so he is expected to push that relationship into a higher gear, especially because we've been hearing of uh, some troubles in the relationship while Mr. Imran Khan was in power. Also with Saudi Arabia, there, you know, there's a perception that things had gotten a bit tense or perhaps a bit uh, not as comfortable as they usually are. 
and i think mr shabash sharif and also his brother they traditionally enjoyed a very close relationship with saudi arabia so on these two fronts i would expect some major initiatives uh, in order to put relationship uh, back on a higher pedestal and do you expect fahad that uh, mr nawaz sharif will return to pakistan i think it is safe to say that mr nawaz sharif will return to pakistan the big question is when he of course has to now go through his legal problems he he still has uh, to to deal with them and i believe that his return uh, will be timed with the timing of the next elections now of course the party hasn't said so but generally it is believed that he will his return will mark a major political milestone in pakistan and his party would want to leverage that return or the the impact of his return to translate that into electoral gain so yes he will return and most likely somewhere near the election but he himself uh, has been barred from contesting elections by your supreme court is that correct that is absolutely correct he remains disqualified there is a petition which has been filed in the supreme court to review the basic um, reasons for his disqualification that petition remains pending we do not know whether it's going to be heard anytime soon and what will come out of it but i think it is fair to say that mr nawashri would be looking for some legal vindication from all of this because he has maintained throughout that that his disqualification was based on not just flimsy grounds but actually uh, wrong grounds so so i think that particular uh, legal problem now needs to be sorted out but till that is done if mr nawashif comes back he will have to go back to jail before i let you go fahad i'm just going to ask you one last question about india uh, you know traditionally when a new government comes in uh, there is there's always a possibility of new opportunities and we have seen a sustained policy of no contact between india and pakistan for many years now and whatever has happened has been principally on the back channel about which uh, you know details are few uh, we we don't really know exactly what uh, the back channel has been all about but what is your sense how will this government approach its relationship with india well i think with india we pakistan has had a troubled relationship of course in the last couple of years and as you very correctly pointed out there was an initiative to revive the relationship some somewhat through the back channel dialogue some of some details did come out about that back channel but it did not really translate into anything tangible so at this particular time there is some there is an impasse however there is a fairly influential constituency in pakistan which believes that regardless of all the other problems that uh, pakistan and india have in the bilateral relationship the issue of trade should be delinked and there are growing voices here in pakistan arguing for a resumption of trade with india now that those voices didn't go uh, go anywhere in the last couple of months because mr imran khan had taken a very strong position against india and and some people in his cabinet were very vehemently uh, against any sort of resumption of trade but with the new government coming in there there could be a possibility although i let me just add that it is perhaps a little premature to to talk about this but 
I would not be surprised if this issue of the resumption of trade makes a comeback on on the table. And if if that were to happen, I think there could be some constructive debate in Islamabad about the advantages of doing so, uh, without linking it to the other more intractable issues that bedevil bilateral relations. Fahad Hussain, thank you so much for talking to the Hindus In Focus podcast. Thank you, it was a pleasure. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.